Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast where I ask my guests to tell me the five things from their life that they would like to put in a time capsule. They pick four things that they cherish and would like to preserve, but they also pick one thing that they'd like to get rid of from their life. And we bury it in the ground, and they never have to think about it again. I'm delighted to say that playing this game of reminiscences with me in this episode is the actor and presenter Matthew Kelly, who became well-known to most people through shows such as Game for a Laugh, You Bet, and of course, Stars in Their Eyes. Tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be... Yeah. Well, anyway, after all that presenting, Matthew returned to his first love, acting. He played Mr Turveydrop in the BBC's Bleak House and a serial killer in Cold Blood. But it was in a theatre that he really shone. He won an Olivier Award for his portrayal of Lenny in John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men. He worked for the Royal Exchange of Manchester, played Salieri in Amadeus, George in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, Panderas in Troilus and Cressida at the Globe, the comedians of the Lyric Hammersmith, Pozzo alongside Ian McKellen in Waiting for Godot, and Frank in Educating Rita. And of course, he continues to appear regularly in pantos up and down the country. I spoke to Matthew in his dressing room at the Theatre Royal Brighton, where he was about to play Sir in The Dresser. So if this is all a bit theatrical and we sound like a pair of old lovies, what do you bloody expect? Have fun. I did a terrible series at Granada. It was so bad. But um, when I was doing stars, some of the boys who worked the doors at the back, you know, and you used to have to wait to go through the smoke and everything, yeah. they had copies of it and they used to threaten me with it. I kicked <laughs> off. They go, oh. I wouldn't even tell anybody what it was called. It was so terrible. It was so terrible. It was a game show uh, which was devised by the head of religion. 
Should have been a warning sign, but no. Oh, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Mm. No. And actually, not only was it terrible, I was the worst thing in it. <laughs> you know when you watch something, you think... Yeah, you watch your back. Oh, no, I try not to. Not, not <laughs> that, I'm not into torture. Oh, um, my Lord. Anyway, so this is a very simple idea. What we do is we basically find five things from your life. Right, yes. There's so many things, aren't there, that you could... Uh, it, it was... Difficult sifting, mm. finding stuff to to sift out. Because when you look back, you go, oh, my God, it's just nearly everything. Because I'm one of those people, whatever meal I'm eating is the best meal I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> and whatever show I'm doing, it is the best show I've ever done, ever, ever, ever. And I love it and I love everybody in it. Mm. So you could say, obviously, the birth of my children... The birth of all my grandchildren. My own birth would be just fantastic to put in there because my parents were the best people ever. They were kind, they were generous, they encouraged everybody to do well. We were encouraged at all times. I have two brothers, one older and one younger. My older brother worked behind the camera in Hollywood. He did a thing called Video Assist. But he's retired from that now. He's, uh, oh, here's the thing. Right, I've always wanted an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I think you have to think big. And I, I heard about this thing called, um, is it imaging or not imaging? It's, you know, visualisation. Visualisation, that's it. And I had a plastic Oscar which was handed to me uh, as a pantomime awards thing, you know, yeah. for being the worst, probably, or I know, you know, the, <laughs> the loudest. The loudest, yes, <laughs> that, that kind of thing. So I thought, I know, I'm going to put that by the bed and I'm going to visualise every night, I'm going to look at it and I'm going to go, you're going to get an Oscar. Of course, one of the things you have to do when you need an Oscar is to make a film, which is, you know, <laughs> one of the things that the minute is standing in the way, but it's not impossible. No. And I had this by the bed for about two months, and uh, I kept looking at it and going, one day you're going to be mine, you're going to be mine. And then my older brother rang me from Hollywood, and he had said, you'll never guess, I've just had an Academy Award. No. Honestly, yeah. Really? He got an award for... He was one of the 14 people who put together how Avatar was done. Don't ask me what it was. No. But, the, but it's become the norm for the way those films were made with CGI. Oh, he worked out how to do it? Yeah. It and make one, it affordable? It was one of the... Uh, it, I don't know whether it's affordable or not, but he worked at, you know, Cameron's studios. He, yeah. he used to do all Spielberg films. He used to do Zemeckis' films, Ron Howard's films. He did all the Muppet movies. He did all the Back to the Future movies. He did all those movies. And he did a thing called Video Assist, which mm. was, you know, a video camera lens inside a film camera lens. In fact, he introduced me to Steven Spielberg on the set of Jurassic Park. And he said, um, Stephen, he said, this was on the lot at Universal <laughs> Stephen Ford, he calls him Stephen. And uh, Stephen came over and said, Stephen, I want you to meet my brother. Um, he's an actor from England called Matthew. And the minute Steven Spielberg heard the word actor, he went, yeah, and <laughs> I felt honestly that big, that terrible. <laughs> so visualization clearly works, but it worked for my brother. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's not fair not for me. Story of my life. My younger brother became a, a teacher. He taught drama, so we were all in it. Oh right, yeah. So, there so were, were your parents at all interested in? No, the my mum worked for social services, uh, and my dad was a printer. 
and yeah, old-fashioned type printer. And had a small kind of family business, right. which. Uh, but they were always busy doing stuff. Like my dad was always in the PTA, you know, the Scouts, the Talking News for the Blind, the Rotary, the, whatever it was. You know, my dad was never at home. Mm. That's probably why their marriage was so successful. And my mum was the kindest, sweetest, calmest person you've ever met in your life. Used to drive my father insane. <laughs> and she never, ever raised her voice. She never lost her temper. And so I've kind of inherited a bit of each, actually. I do have massive patience, but I do have a temper when it goes. <laughs> Which is quite spectacular, but it's very short. Yes. You know. But you also have that drive. You have that keep going, keep working. Uh, well, you see, now, I, I, everybody knew from the age of six that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go into the theatre. Mm. Because we'd been on a works outing when I was five to the circus, and I hated it. Circus was loud, it was smelly, it was frightening, it was cold. I hated everything about it. And the next time, the next work outing, I didn't want to go because I, I remembered this thing. And we went to the pantomime. It was warm, it was magical, it was golden. And I wanted to know what happened when that line of tapping chorus girls tapped into the, what, what I didn't know then, but now, now, now it's the wings. Mm. And even now, I'm thrilled sitting in the wings that I can see that golden stuff that's going on, the story that's being told, and the audience have no idea how it happens, and I do. <laughs> and that I sit on skips even now amongst what a dresser used to call all that goo-fuck shit and tassel <laughs> that, that we all sit amongst. It's not yeah. lit, and it's just, you know, it's just a pile of shit, really. Uh, it's I, always dreadful, basically. Uh, dreadful. And, uh, but to me, it's still very magical, mm. and I still have it. And I say to people, especially people who want to go into theatre or that kind of thing. I said, well, it's a difference between a want and a need. If you want to do it, you might do it. If you need to do it, you will do it. And mm. I've had a need to do it, and that's why I do it. I can't mm. not do it. And also, thank goodness, the baby Jesus has made me shit with money, so I've got to keep working. <laughs> <laughs> Just hopeless, absolutely hopeless. Um, and so I'm always skinned, which is, I think, an, an absolute boon. Because I also have a thing about good money and bad money. I mm. mean, you know, some money is good and you'll do good things with it and some money is very bad and you can have too much of it <laughs> and you have to do something good with it. Yeah, I've yeah. got a friend whose theory is that every time you need money, you should spend some. Well, I think your friend probably has something there. Mm. I think there's absolutely uh, something in that. So, anyway, so birth we're talking about. Now, yeah. this is a really significant one. I was doing Waiting for Godot. We're allowed to name drop in this, aren't we? As much as you like. Oh, because I'm going too loads. <laughs> I, was, I was asked to do Waiting for Godot with Ian McKellen. Right? Lovely. I, I know. And, uh, and I thought, oh, this is fantastic. And it was, we did it at the Haymarket Theatre and then we toured mm. uh, in Australia and New Zealand and South Africa. Well, there are, there are lots of very special things about that because I had my 60th birthday in Melbourne. But, but for McKellen, we went to South Africa to play, for, for no pay, for a month to play the townships. And that was part of the deal that at the end of the tour that we would go to the townships, which were a little bit scary mm -hmm. uh, because we, we, 
We went to a place that was called the Oliver Tambo Centre. And you know those signs that say no smoking? And it's like a red circle on a white background and a cigarette with a, a diagonal red line in it. Well, this place had one of those, and next to it there was a gun on a, <laughs> a circle. With a and, and they said, whatever you do after the show, don't go to a Shabin. Shabin is a bar that sells very cheap liquor and usually has a wooden floor and it's a bit just a bit of a cage. So we went, no, no, we're not going to do that because we all hit and went to a Shabin after it. It was just fantastic in the middle of this town. <laughs> but the moment for me in Sydney, at Sydney Opera House, was my daughter was having her first child mm. in Sydney and I used to walk every day to the theatre, Sydney Opera House, and Sydney Harbour Bridge on the other side. My daughter's pregnant. She came at nine months pregnant to see the show. And then one night, just towards the end of the run there, she went into labour. And we were, um, me and Brendan O'Hay and Ian Kellen and Roger Rees were taking our bows at the end of the show, and they all knew that she was very near the time. And as we were taking the bows, we all bowed, and the boys turned to each other and went, any news yet? And I went, no, nothing yet. She's still in labour. And, and actually, he was born while we were taking the bows. Wow. And we didn't know. And actually, it was my anniversary in showbiz. June the 24th, and that's why I've never forgotten it, yeah. William was born. Uh, With the sound of applause ringing in your ears. Yeah, exactly. How wonderful. I know. Here's a funny thing. Do you know, I became a pensioner and an orphan in the same year. Isn't that fantastic? Oh. Yes, it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I don't know why I'm telling you that. Seeding is stupid. Here's the thing about my mum. My mum was the last year. I mean, I come from a very long-lived family, very long-lived. And I'm absolutely the wrong person to say that to because I go, I am invincible. So I just throw everything down my neck anyway because I think I'm going to survive everything. <laughs> uh, and she said, she was nearly 92, and she said, I want to go. And I thought, how wonderful would that be? That mm. would be just fantastic. But I know what I'm going to be doing at the end of my life. I am going to be doing what I was doing in my 20s at parties. I should be propped up against the sink at 3 o'clock in the morning, mind-sweeping for tins of beer that I haven't got dimps in, going, well, it's going to pick up soon. There's bound to be fresh supplies of people any minute now. <laughs> my dad, when he was in his 80s, over breakfast, and I don't know why this came up, he said, you do know, he said, there comes a time in your life when you stop thinking about sex. And I thought... Well, how marvellous would that be? I mean, just think of all the reading you get done. <laughs> Great. And it preyed on my mind for a long time. So um, I said to him, about a year later, I said, uh, I said, you once told me that there comes a time in your life when you stop thinking about sex. And he said, yeah. I said, well, when does it happen? And he said, uh, I lied. He <laughs> 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 was a git, my dad. Yeah. <laughs> What else? Right. Is that one thing? I think that's one thing. So are we going to basically put in the birth of your first grandchild, William? Yeah. I'm slightly disappointed because I have to say you would have been the first person to put their own birth in. Uh, <laughs> well, I would put that in, except I don't remember it. OK. Except to say that it's a wonderful thing because my mother was not really given to birth. She had a terrible time with births. She would go into labour for a week 
and be sent home. She had an awful, awful time. She had re- those real awful women's problems mm. uh, that she suffered from all her life, really. Well, until she had a hysterical rectum, and that was the end of that. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, and I, I would have put that first had I remembered, but I do not. What all right, well, that's number one. OK. Right, let's think of number two, then. Well, uh, I'm going to put something brilliant that happened in Stars and Rise because... It made me laugh so much, this. <laughs> One of the greatest programmes that's ever been. Ever the graced the silver screen. There's no doubt about it. Well, no doubt about it, yeah. Well, I mean, of course, what was great about that programme was that, you know, they were doing all the work, the punters were doing all the work, and I was getting all the money. It was absolutely <laughs> genius. Of course. It? All I had to do was trip on and say, oh, you're marvellous, <laughs> which I absolutely believed as well. And when people used to say to me on a Monday, oh, so-and-so was, went on as whoever they went on with, they weren't very good. And I w- was incredulous. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I think they're fantastic. Mm. Because what happened every time was... You had five people, and the first day they came in, they had five opportunities to sing their song, and the same thing would happen every time. They would come on and they'd go, ah, I'm so nervous, I'm frightened, I'm go- I just shouldn't be here, I don't know why I agreed to it. Mm. The second time they rehearsed it, they would go, well, I can't get out of it now, there's no going back, what am I going to do? I shall just look a twat. Mm-hmm. The third time, they think, oh, uh, this is feeling a bit more comfortable, but I don't know where anything is, I don't know where anything goes. Uh, the fourth time, they think, well, maybe I can do this. And the fifth time, you couldn't get them off. <laughs> I love doing that show. And yeah. what I used to do was, every morning we went into work I used to buy, on the way into work I would buy a box of Freddo's this would be financially prohibitive now obviously <laughs> but there were only 10 p each then and I used to go round the studio and I would give everybody a Freddo because firstly you get to learn everybody's name secondly everybody loves a Freddo <laughs> so thirdly uh, I just bought everybody's affection <laughs> And they feel as if you're being very generous. Yeah, great largesse, 10 <laughs> pee-pee's chocolate, thank you very much. Yeah. And um, we used to have, under the bleachers where the audience were, there were three of us, right? There was me, Richard Easter, the writer, and Pat Green, the auto-cue lady, right? Mm-hmm. And we were the unholy triumvirate because he wrote the words, she typed the words... And I said the words, <laughs> right, and that's how it worked. And the, and the design department used to spend more on this little set. It became a thing, it became a part of the show. And each series, they would do it up as a different thing. Um, they had it as a gypsy caravan. We had it as a bordello. <laughs> we had it as, yeah. They had to put a stop to it in the end because, well, they didn't stop it, but they cut the budget right back. Yeah. They used to swear that they were spending it on the set, which they weren't. They were spending it backstage. <laughs> and one day, we'd gone for lunch, and somebody was doing a big disco number, right? And I can't remember what it was, and I can't remember who the person was. But above the stage, there was a giant disco ball. You had never seen a mirrored disco ball like it. And we were just coming back from lunch and I just stepped onto the stage and as I stepped on the stage, this giant mirror ball fell from the grid and smashed into a million pieces on the stage at exactly the spot where I would have been standing two seconds later. It would have killed me. So we were all dismissed from the studio 
And I said, can you imagine if I'd been killed? Imagine the papers the next day. <laughs> they'd be going, ah, oh, Matthew Kelly, killed in terrible, glitterable tragedy. <laughs> it's the way he would have wanted to go. You know? <laughs> and I got told off for laughing. Because, well, health and safety, they went, they went mental. Yeah. And... Um, I said, well, excuse me, I could have died. <laughs> it's me that nearly died. <laughs> and you're not bothered. No. I used to love doing that show. And I knew that we were onto something when my daughter, who was in university in Glasgow at the time, said, because my kids have never been bothered about the work I do, they were slightly embarrassed by it, obviously, mm. Uh, mm. as all kids are, you know, why wouldn't you be? And she said, oh, looking forward to the final this weekend, the live final, because we're having a party. And university students took it on and they started to have it and it became a thing that mm. became a cult. And I knew it was on to a different level. Yeah, then that's like the Eurovision Song Contest. That's like one of those things where people get together for yeah, the final. You, you've made it, haven't you? Yeah. And also it's one of those shows that, I don't know, quite often people would come out of doors saying, tonight, Matthew, yeah. and it became a catchphrase. Yeah, phrase. it did. Um, the best thing about that catchphrase was... Um, it had my name in it. I didn't invent it. And I was the only one who couldn't say it. No. Because people couldn't come up to me and go, go on, say that line. Why would I say that to myself? I couldn't. No. You know? And it became kind of part of the lexicon. And I was very proud to be the Matthew in tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be. And people still kind of do it, but not quite so much because mm. people's memories are very short. Yes. Very short. I mean, it's nearly 20 years. I just saw a girl at stage door here now in Brighton who came up to me and went, you were in Benny Dorm. And I said, yes, I was. In fact, I got a free taxi ride tonight because the taxi driver wanted a picture of me because he was a big fan of Benny Dorm. Oh, wow. Isn't that funny? And I was only in three episodes. Uh-huh. People only remember the last thing you do. Yeah, yeah. We didn't coincide in Benny Dorm at all, did we? Did you do it? I was in five series. I loved it. Oh, I had a ball. Well, I was really upset because Darren said he was going to write me in. And then he married Sherry off to John Chalice. I know. Well, it was a choice between you, me and John Chalice. Were you the third? I was the third. No. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God! We're love rivals. (laughs) I think that's hilarious. But both failures. Oh, yeah, both failures, yeah. (laughs) I know. I was uh, the dance instructor... Cyril Babcock, who became known as Squirrel Bigcock, <laughs> which was my favourite name, really. Um, so you can have stars and rise as number two. You said there was the funniest moment. That was it. That was that, it when that thing a glitter ball falling. That oh was my, my funniest God. moment. You found that funny, and everybody else was completely shocked. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious. Oh my word! Simply because of that headline, you yeah. know. <laughs> I think that's a terrible glitter ball tragedy. <laughs> All right. Well, we will put. I don't know how we're going to fit this glitter ball in, but it's just—it's <laughs> a fantastic idea. It has to be eternally falling. Uh, how do you do this? I don't understand. Oh uh, well, uh, if I. Gave away my secrets. Oh. It'll be big trouble. Do you actually have like pictures of how does it how does it work? <laughs> it's a podcast for fuck's sake. It's all in my imagination. <laughs> ah, really? Mm. Yeah. There's nothing going on here, is there? <laughs> nothing at all. No, I just, I just don't know anybody. I just need to, I go around and find some people to talk to. <laughs> I play this game with people in the streets. <laughs> <laughs> how old are you now? Sixty-three. Darling. Yeah, not that old. <gasps> Well, I'm not that old, but I'm 71. Yeah. I know. It sounds older than it actually is. Until I look in a mirror, and, and I think that's not the face I'm looking out of. <laughs> no. No, I have an absolute image of myself. It's not me when I was 21, but it is an image of me 
you know, a f- couple of years ago and a bit slimmer. Always uh, a bit slimmer. It's very hard to get this off. My mother said to me when she was in her 70s, I remember uh, saying to her, I said, did you ever think you'd ever get to your 70s? And she said, no, she said, I never thought about it. She said, because in my head I'm 25 and I always have been. Mm. And so we all are, we have that image of ourselves. Mm. And also when things go wrong, like, you know, like this hip, this dicky hip at the moment, you go along with it for quite a long time because you think, oh, this, this is not working properly, oh, this is a bit dicky, this is... But it's not how life should be and it's not how life should be lived. But it takes you ages to kind of accept it as something until you actually start doing something about you think we better fix this really yeah I can't be hobbling about like this forever what else can I tell you right before Matthew has to start getting his makeup on we're going to take a short break for some adverts we'll be back in a minute even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Thanks for waiting. Right, let's find out what else Matthew Kelly would like to put in his time capsule. I, I want you to tell me about the brilliant change in your life because you're an actor, yeah, and then you're very much a celebrity and you're very much a presenter, yeah. So how did you persuade them back again? Well, it's where I came from, acting, mm. of course. So I suppose getting game for a life was a big thing because it marked a kind of watershed, really. Well, what happened was I was doing Holding the Fort with Patricia Hodge and Peter Davison, which was like a Friday night sitcom. Mm. We did three series of that, and then I got asked to do punchlines as a celebrity. And I was living in Elizabeth Eston's cellar at the time because she <laughs> bought this house, and I went round and I said, are you doing anything with this cellar? She said, no. I said, if I can do it off, can I rent it off? She said, yeah. So I'm living in her cellar. And she was, at that time, she'd left Liver Birds. It was before she went to Emmerdale, and she, she was doing teabags. She was teabag the witch, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, they've asked me to do this thing um, where I'm a celebrity and I'm not one. And she said, well, they obviously think you are, so go along, take the money and don't be humble. So I did. Mm-hmm. And while I was doing punchlines, Alan Boyd said to me, if I asked you to jump out of an aeroplane, would you? And I said, yes, of course I would, because you say anything to get a job. Yeah. And so I did. I did. 
I broke my leg and I got famous. But I did that because I knew I was going to get famous. And Humphrey Barclay said to me, in fact, many people said to me, don't do that job, you'll never work as an actor again. And I said, well, that would be good if it was a choice. But frankly, it's a job mm. and and it's a well-paid job and I've got small children and then I need to bring them up, so I'm going to do it. And so breaking my leg, I suppose, would be my third, actually, because I also have this thing that out of bad always comes good, always. And if it doesn't, we're all wasting our time. I'm mm. just absolutely positive about this. And so I did a couple of um, parachute jumps with the Red Devils uh, for the show, mm. and I was told not to go back again. And of course, went back the next day. No insurance, no permission. Middle of filming, broke my leg, smashed it. So I thought I would be sacked and sued, but no. They went, oh, publicity. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, we'll have this. And it actually made me quite famous, and that's what started the ball rolling. Yeah. But I think there's also a price to pay for fame. I think fame is a fantastic thing because it's an experience, but it's also it's completely redundant as a thing. It has no function. It is, has no purpose. It's, it's something that everybody should do because then they would realise, actually, the importance that it actually has, mm. which is practically zero. Yes. However, it does get me work now. Yeah. I don't get recognised now, which is a good thing, mm. but I do get work, mm. and, and I can get quite well paid for it, right? And I get, get my name on posters, and they'll use me in publicity, even though there's an entire generation who hasn't the first idea <laughs> who I am. I always think it's marvellous that producers are quite convinced that they can keep promoting someone that nobody knows anymore. Nobody knows. <laughs> so, and, and the other generations have forgotten... <laughs> and, and then the generation above them can't remember anything anyway, you know. Yeah. So we've done all right after this, but it's been a long journey. And I think part of the, the payment for this has been the trouble I've had with my legs, you know, because they're actually getting like table legs. I mean, eventually I'll just finish up with two feet sticking out of my hips <laughs> and just keep shortening them until it's level. So have you enjoyed fame then? Uh, I... I, I I wouldn't be without it. Mm. I wouldn't be without the experience. Um, I wouldn't be without anything that's happened in my life, even the terrible things that have happened. I wouldn't recommend them to anybody, and I can still get quite emotional about them, and I can't talk about them, but uh, I wouldn't be without them because they are the things that make you you. So long as you don't carry them around in bags, mm -hmm. so long as you just absorb them and kind of go, well, that was then and this. Now, that's an interesting thing. I used to narrate a series called After They Were Famous, and that was fascinating because people fell into three categories. There were the people who had been famous and still thought they ought to be famous and were rather bitter mm -hmm. about it and felt the world owed them something. Mm -hmm. Then there were the ones who had been famous in one field and then had lost that but now decided to be famous in some other field, i.e. religion or politics. Right lost souls to my mind mm -hmm. and then there was a third group who I found fascinating who said that was then and this is now and I am a much more successful person as a not famous person so fame was one thing but has nothing to do with success in life 
No. And people actually see it the other way around. But you wouldn't know that until you kind of done it. Mm. So part of our problem in the world, I think, is that we're not acknowledged. And I still blame Margaret Thatcher for everything. Everything. Everything, rightly so. Yeah, because she, I mean, she destroyed the union, she destroyed communities. And, and the one thing, particularly that those things had, they gave you strength, they gave you support, they gave you a position and an acknowledgement within society that meant whatever you were, people knew who you were and that's what you did. Even if you were the village idiot, that yeah. was your job. Mm-hmm. And, and you knew, and to break those apart, and particularly now we've all gone digital, nobody knows where they are. So they're not acknowledged. So everybody's looking for some kind of acknowledgement. And one of the things she did was that because she broke up all the industries, nothing became secure anymore. So anybody who wanted to be an actor, that old argument about, oh, it's too insecure, you shouldn't go into that, didn't work anymore. And the the film Fame came out at the same moment and everybody went, well, I might as well try that because, you know, (laughs) it's as as secure as working in a factory. Mm. Why not? We could have some fun in the dressing-up box on the way. Yeah, Yeah. much more fun. So, uh, yeah, that's... That's as political as I'm going to get. Thank you very much. Let's just blame Margaret. Yes. Yeah. You can almost blame her for your broken leg. I certainly do. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. And that. Well, that was an interesting. I met her, you know. I met Thatcher. And that was an interesting experience. And how did you behave towards her? Well, it was at a a children's awards ceremony. Mm. Child of Achievement Awards. I don't think they do them anymore. They were quite moving, weren't they? They were very moving. Mm. Um, they didn't say who was going to be the big guest, right, because of security. And it was towards the end of her reign of terror. And they said, well, you don't have to go on stage with her if you feel that strongly. And I kind of went, I don't think I can appear on stage with that woman. And I can't remember who I was with. Oh, Mark Curry. Mark Curry said to me, if you leave now... The press will get on to you and go, why have you left the stage and why are mm-hmm. you appearing with that job? So I went, oh, mm-mm. what should I do? I know, I'll do it. So I did it. Hello? Hi, Hello, darling. It's all right. Anyway, that's Denny. Hello. She You're does right. costume, can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> or she goes around stealing clothes. It's only a hobby. <laughs> uh, yeah. She's on care, darling. It's a day release. <laughs> Yes! Do you want a cup of tea? Do you like a cup of tea? I'd love a cup of tea, please, thank you. Cup of tea. Do you want a brew? Do you want a brew? Do you take sugar? No, I don't, no. Thank you. Thank you, darling. Um, Bless you. So so I go on stage with Thatcher, who was astonishingly charismatic. I was really surprised. And I wanted to say to her, if you had decent policies, particularly social policies... Half of these children wouldn't need to be here Mm. getting achievement awards because they're doing what your government should be doing in their place, right? Mm -hmm. And she had a photograph taken with all the kids and she stayed for a few hours. She was amazing. And what I actually said to her was, if you kneel down 
to have your picture taken with these children one more time. I said, them tights will be in tatters, that told her. <laughs> Two months later, she was out. I'm not saying... <laughs> you did it. Yes, I'm not saying it was anything to do with that. <laughs> but I think she was pretty shamed by that, yes. Well, I bet she was shaken, wasn't she? Uh, oh, God, she... <laughs> Honestly, it's terrible. And they kept, and she, they kept trying to say, Margaret, come away because you've got another thing to do. She said, no. And she stayed for the whole thing. The following year, it was Princess Di. Oh, oh, I felt so sorry for that girl. Oh, mm. she was just, there was nothing of the human being there. She, and the cameras, on, it was the most terrible. And, and I, I was asked to escort her. But I did meet her again after that, and she was she was utterly charming, I must say. Mm. I mean, I'm not a massive royalist. I, I think it's time we grew up, really. But, you know, that's the way it is. This is my parents, right? My parents always said about royalty, about the monarchy, it's not about who they are or what they do. It's what they don't do. It's the fact that they deny power to other people. And I thought, hmm, that's an interesting one, mm-hmm. yeah. And then the following year, it was John Major. And that was interesting as well, because John Major, I thought, he's very tall. <laughs> Is he? Yeah, massively tall. I've never seen him. No, you think he's a dwarf, but he's not. He's very, yeah. he's very tall. <laughs> Back to basics. Whoa, that brought me such joy. Back to basics. Ha, <laughs> 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 ha! Serves you fucking right. Anyway, mm. yes, because I didn't believe a word he said. When he did his speech, the thing about Thatcher was I absolutely believed that she believed what she was doing. Yeah. What she didn't know was that she was wrong. I thought John Major knows that he's wrong. And there's some... I do think politicians should learn to be good actors first. Mm-hmm. Or megalomaniacs, one or the other. Have you seen that series, Tyrant, How to Be a Tyrant? No. On Netflix, I think it is. Is it's, it good? Yeah, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. How to become a tyrant and how we let them. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, where are we up to now? I don't, I don't know what number I'm up to now. <laughs> Can't you tell I love talking about myself? It's my favourite topic. <laughs> See, the thing is, yeah. one of the rules of this game that we're playing mm. is that you're supposed to pick one thing that you'd like to forget. And you've already made it perfectly clear that you don't want to get rid of anything that you think is important. I do think it's important, yeah. I mean, there is... There was a time of awfulness in my life, and I'm sure you know what it was. Mm. It was so terrible that it's you cannot talk about it. It's, it's in fact, I was offered to do a documentary about it recently, and and I looked at it and I went, do you know what? I can't live through that again. No. But you know, let's just acknowledge it was there. It happened. It was terrible, and the thing that was behind it was money, and that was the thing I found the most bizarre because after it. I was offered loads of money to talk about it. Mm. And I went, you don't get it, do you? Mm. The whole reason we're here is because of money, for fuck's sake. Mm. Just, anyway. Yeah. And this is your life. Yeah. Talking of it, this is your life. That was a highlight, right? <laughs> right. This is your life. And actually, this is why I won't do any reality shows ever. Because I'm here to sell my work, not my life. Mm. And Joe Pasquale... Fantastic. He is one of those people who will come out unscathed. 
Mm. You know, I think I would just look a dick. And people know, people, ah, oh, lovely beardy Matthew off the tent, lovely. No, oh, no, it's a dick. Oh, no, that's not what I had in mind at all. You know, I'm just like everybody else. But uh, some people are special, they have something. Mm. Like when Biggies walked into the jungle, you knew he'd won it. Of course you When he walked in. Of course. I went to see Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and I went backstage afterwards to see Louise Gold, who was in it. Yeah. Playing the Queen. And I walked past Biggins' dressing room mm-hmm. and he came out in his pants with his sock suspenders on. And he went, darling, come in. And I went, um, okay. he said, come in, come in. I'll just like a drink. And I said, I'm not actually here to see you, Chris. <laughs> thank oh, you. thank you, John. That's and he said, oh, God, how stupid of me. Go, go, go. Oh. And, uh, bless him. I, thought I know. I, I love Biggins. As, uh, my son and I play sisters together. That's a highlight. Playing ugly sisters with my son is really? just the best. Oh, that's he, fantastic. He, he was in that Chitty Chitty Bang Bang you saw. He, he played one of the um, professors. Oh. Yeah. We're very alike. He's called Matt Rickson. In fact, we're so alike, we're identical. He's, I mean, he's in his 50s now. So some years ago, a producer rang up and said, how would you like to play sisters with Matt? And I went, do you know what? <laughs> to cross-dress with your children in the festive period <laughs> without telling social services is just the best ever. <laughs> and we play sisters as twins. And you can't tell us apart. I'm going to show you a picture, oh, which on, unfortunately see this, yeah. you can't see on the podcast. But, yes, there we are. That's me and my boy. Oh, my God. I, I, you can't tell which is which. You can't, can you? You can't. I know. And, of course, when we've got the wigs and the heels on, we are eight foot tall. Yeah, huge. Terrified. <laughs> yeah, so we played it several times since. It's my favourite pantomime thing. <laughs> I'm going back to Dane this year, and I'm, so is he. He's going to Swindon. Mm. But um, I think I'm getting too old to play Dame now. And I, anyway, I've just I've seen I'm only 63 and I've just turned it down. Because? Because I felt... It's just such hard work. I know, and I'm I'm worried about the hip. I've got to earn some money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Always yeah. broke. Always broke. Drank it all. <laughs> Marvellous. Had a lovely time. Thank you very much. <laughs> we all had a lovely time. Yeah. yeah. So are you enjoying doing this? Oh, well, it's a marvellous play. It's a great part to show off. And I'm used to playing part... Nearly every part I play, I have to have a mental breakdown. And that's the great joy with Julian, because, I mean, he's not done very much acting, but he has been fantastic, and the journey has been on. Mm. And it's so difficult, that part. Yeah. And, you know, you would think, oh, that's very that's very Julian Clary, that. But it's not. Julian is not a flamboyant camp, whereas this... Norman, that, that character, is mm. very flamboyant. Mm. And also we have massive rows on stage, which is not what Julian does in life. Mm. So I think he's found it fantastically liberating. And watching the journey that he's been on has been extraordinary. And playing scenes with him, because most of our scenes are together. Mm. And he's just a joyful man to be with on stage and discovering an investment in... Um, real emotion on stage is, I think, is a a new thing for him. And it saves you 
having a breakdown in life, for instance, yeah. especially if you're doing it twice nightly on stage. Yes, there is that sense of, I just can't be bothered to do it now. I've done it twice already today. Well, we've just done four shows in two days, and mm. it's killer. I, I would like to say that one of my highlights of my life is performing, and it's not. I dread it. Every morning I wake up and I think, oh, God, please don't make me do this, don't make me do this, all the way up to sitting at the side of the stage thinking, I can't do this. But I get on stage and I'm completely at home and I love every minute of it and the curtain comes down and I can't wait to do it again. Mm. But tomorrow morning I will be, oh, God, and twice, really? No. Yes. I love the company of actors. I love rehearsals, working stuff out. I love working with directors. I love... um, I love larking about with my chums, really. Mm. To be honest with you, I just like drinking tea and doing anecdotes. That's what I like. <laughs> That's all right, then. Yeah. We've got away with it. I don't particularly want to do any work. No, yeah. no, quite right. No, it's nice being backstage. I like being backstage. Yeah, I like being backstage. It's that, um, it's that knowledge, that knowing what's, what's going on that uh, an audience doesn't know. One of my thrilling things, though, is I'm the president of the Ermston Musical Theatre, which used to be called the Ermston Operatic Society. Right. uh, With whom I did The King and I when I was 13. Yes, I played Louis in The King and I. And eventually they made me their president. Mm -hmm. And one of their former presidents, of which there were many, was Mrs Royal Higginson, who was every bit like... And Mrs. Royal Higginson should be. She was like, you know, Mrs. Doolally Tap. Do you remember Mrs. Doolally Tap? Yeah. It was um, Johnny Morris, one of Johnny Morris's Johnny the chestnut mouse creations. Mrs. Do- she was very posh, and she strode about her since she was a councillor, and uh, used to swing on the gate and ask for sweets, and then got told off. <laughs> but she was president of the Operatic Society for twenty-seven years, and it was my ambition to be longer as president than Mrs. Dulalita, and I was. And I am, I still am. Uh, so, And I love going back there. I go back I, as, for as many productions as I can yeah. to see them. And, and they are marvellous. Yes. Know? Yeah, don't let anybody tell you that amateur productions are not good. Some of them are gloriously oh, wonderful. They're just joyful things mm-hmm. to watch. And I love watching queues of enormous ladies in dirndls queuing to get off the stage after being <laughs> absolutely kills me. Well, there are marvellous moments because they're always doing it in circumstances that don't ever suit doing a play, really. And yeah. The wings are never big enough. There yeah, are never exactly. enough dressing rooms. There no. are far too many people in the stuff because everybody wants to be yeah. in it. I but love it. A... I once saw a very cruel trick played on somebody. I think it was Desert Song. Uh, the Orpington Operatic Society, mm-hmm. and uh, in order to change from being the Arabs rushing off one way and then come on as the legionnaires on the other side, they obviously had to dress each other. And the last thing they had to do was put the pack on. Yeah. And they put the pack on this bloke, and they clearly was full of bricks. <laughs> 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 and he staggered his way across the stage. <laughs> Well, what I love about them is that that it's a community thing, and I love that. I love people getting together and making a joint effort, and that's what I love about theatre, which is is about an energy, and it's about a sharing, Mm. and it's about, you know, a lot of people sitting in a darkened room exchanging 
And then she said, sounds a bit like my front room at <laughs> on a weekend, yeah. <laughs> so I like community stuff. I like stuff where, you know, people get together. Like, I mean, like you get together to make a play or a musical or... And the audience do the same thing. They come together yeah. to share something. And there's not nearly enough of that. No. And after the time we've had recently, it's... Uh... It's a wonderful thing to see, isn't it? It is a great thing. And, you know, and to do good writing, and, and that's why when I left Stars in Their Eyes, I said to them, would it be all right if I left? And they went, yeah, it's fine. I thought, well, you could have fought a little bit, you know. <laughs> Fucking hell, you know. But I really have to be told when to leave. Yes, thank you, Matthew. It's been lovely. Yes. No, that's it. Bye. I, I think I can do another two series. <laughs> no, thank no, you. No, no, it's fine. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. But it's, uh, it is good to move on. It's good to move on. Yeah. It's like it's good to move house. It's good to keep moving. Because mm. if you stop moving, you die. Yeah. And on that note... <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, sadly, he passed away. <laughs> passed away. A giant glitter ball at that moment. <laughs> crashed through the ceiling. It's the way it would have wanted to go. <laughs> Oh, man, thank you very much. How lovely to talk to you. Oh, groovy. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my generous and lovely guest, Matthew Kelly. Please subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed listening and haven't done so already, and then your podcast provider will let you know every time a new episode becomes available. In fact, they'll send it to you, ready for you to download or stream. And we have some special best-of episodes coming up, so look out for them. If you have the time, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast wherever you listen to it, and if they give you that option, maybe write a short review. We do read them all, I promise, and we're very grateful for your comments. Right, the theme tune was written by Pastor P's Music and is available in full on Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook. This was a cast-off production, which I believe is a reference to podcasts rather than anything to do with knitting or sailing. And the producer was John Fenton Stevens. Thank you for your support and patronage. I'll leave you with a few classic panto gags in Matthew's honour. And as we both play Dane, I will play it in character. Although it's my voice. I never change my voice for Panto. It always sounds like this, worn out with a terrible cold on top. That's Panto for you. Right, for 20 years, my husband and I were blissfully happy. Then we met. He told me he was a self-made man. Yeah, it was good of him to take the blame. He was a model husband, though. Not a working model, obviously. Actually, he had a terrible death. He drowned in a barrel of whiskey. It took him three hours. Well, he had to get out four times to go to the toilet. Anyway, since he's gone, I've lived it up. Yes, I've been all over the place. I stayed in a lovely hotel last week. The girl on the desk said to me, Would you like a wake-up call? I said, Oh, yes, please. She said, You're old, you're fat, and you've done nothing with your life. <clears throat> yeah, you can see why I'm not doing panto this year. Bye. Planning for your next trip? 
elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.